Welcome to the Holden Village Podcast. Holden is a community of education, programming, and worship located in the remote wilderness of the Cascade Mountains. These snapshots provide a glimpse into the learnings taking place in our community. Let's tune in to this week's highlight. I'm Annalise Floyd. I use she, her pronouns. And I first came up to the village in 1984 with my grandparents when I was a little girl and have essentially been coming up for short times on and off ever since then. Last year, I took a sabbatical from my work as a family doctor for three months. And so it was the first time that I realistically had time to come up for a long enough stint to be on staff myself in the winter of 2020, before the pandemic hit. This time I've come up as kitchen assistant again, and also backup medic. So being a medic at Holden, I love it because it could be anything from someone that needs to be evacuated to minor cuts, scrapes, injuries, burns, things like that. You can certainly come up as a nurse, a PA, a nurse practitioner, or a physician. And that's possible because the medic station is overseen by a medical director who is down Lake. And that medical director has put in place some standing orders and protocols by which the medic here can utilize some of the prescriptions that we have on hand for things like minor infections and can communicate with that physician down Lake on an as-needed basis. So it makes it an operable medic station for someone who doesn't have a prescribing license in particular. So while I was up here, I had the opportunity to speak to the village about the broad topic of bioethics, a topic that many people spend their entire career and doctoral thesis and life's work on, but we covered in one short food for thought and really just kind of scratched the surface of some thoughts about bioethics in the midst of the pandemic. As we all know, the pandemic has really shown light on many inequities that, of course, were long-standing, but are very much highlighted by things like quarantine and the need for essential workers who don't have the choice or the option to stay home and stay out of the way of the virus. Early on in the pandemic, thankfully in the U.S., as far as I know, no physicians or uh, medical ethics teams have had to face the awful reality of not having enough ventilators for patients that needed to be ventilated it may have happened in individual hospitals, but there was always a neighboring hospital that people could be transported to. But the doctors in Italy did face that reality. So I talked with the village and we did a little thought exercise, taking just the idea of utilitarianism as one example, one way to hone in on such a broad topic. And talked about if you apply utilitarian principles, it can be quite flawed in the case of something like a pandemic, because utilitarianism in a medical decision is almost always going to favor the young. And for many reasons, obviously, there's more to it in an ethical decision like that. I had the village do an exercise where you place yourself in the shoes of one of those doctors in Italy, and you have two COVID patients the first is a 65-year-old who arrives first and needs to be ventilated. And a few minutes later, a 25-year-old arrives and also needs a ventilator. And you have to decide. We have only one ventilator available. Whichever patient you give it to will live to be 80 years old. And both patients will be helped equally well by the ventilator. And I just had people sit with that for a moment and think about who they would give the ventilator to. 
And then I had them apply what's known in ethics as the veil of ignorance. And the veil of ignorance states that the most fair decision is often actually a selfish decision. Meaning, if you place yourself into the equation, you sometimes think about the ethical decision differently. So I had them repeat the exercise and said, now, take yourself into this equation. What I mean by that is, you are the patient. You have a 50% chance of being the 25-year-old and a 50% chance of being the 65-year-old. Now, which patient would you give the ventilator to? And... After letting them sit with that for a few moments, I shared the results from this study that was actually done with a group of respondents um, by the Harvard Medical Ethics team and shared that, you know, the results are perhaps intuitive, but when you don't put yourself into the equation, you are more likely to choose the patient that is closest to your own age. But when you put yourself into the decision, you are more likely to choose the 25-year-old because you think to yourself, well, if I were 25, I'd have another 55 years to live. And if I were 65, I'd have lived good 65 years, and that follows. So, But again, this is the limitation of only applying utilitarianism principles to the, to the allocation of scarce medical resources. Then we shifted gears a little bit, and I introduced the concept of micro-allocation versus macro-allocation of resources. When you're thinking on an individual patient basis, you're really thinking about micro-allocation of resources, the sort of traditional battlefield triage. You know there are those that are not going to make it, and you know there are those that are definitely going to make it but can wait. And then the people whose lives hang in the balance, those are the ones you help first. That's micro-allocation because it's thinking patient by patient. Macro-allocation is really what we're facing when we think about things like distribution of the vaccine, and who gets vaccine first. Macroallocation is applying ethical principles to scarce medical resources for the general population or large groups of people. So we talked about the many different principles that can be used when looking at allocation of resources on a large population basis, both the four principles of ethics, being autonomy, justice, non-maleficence, and beneficence. But also, there are nine fairness principles that are commonly used in medicine, and I won't get into those for the interest of time, but we touched on those briefly. And then talked about how the village, as a remote location, has been determined to be under phase 1B of Washington State's need for vaccine. And talked about the decision-making that happened both at the first at the federal level with the American College of Immunization Practices and they have distinguished phases as a guideline for states to use, but have said, as with any large ethical decisions and things where fairness and justice and equity are involved, they wanted the states to be able to use the federal guidelines, but also have some flexibility to create their own. And so we talked about the process through which the ACIP developed their phases, which was a very thoughtful process involving 10 actually committee meetings and 28 public hearings at which they invited experts from several different fields, as well as the general public. And they established the phases to try to balance kind of two main principles. They were the principles of preserving life and preventing morbidity and mortality from COVID. And then the principle of maintaining the workforce that's necessary to, and the infrastructure that's necessary to help support the other goal of of preserving life. So this is pretty clear 
in the case of phase 1A, because we know that long-term care facility residents are by far the most affected in terms of morbidity and mortality. And when you think about the infrastructure required to care for those long-term care facility residents, that pretty well falls into the the other half of phase 1A, which are those essential workers. So healthcare workers, but not just healthcare workers, also the people who help clean the long-term care facilities and prepare food there and really provide the care in those settings. But it gets much murkier when you start looking beyond that group. So the most vulnerable patients and the people that help take care of them were in phase 1A. Looking at phase 1B, The federal government has similarly included those most vulnerable, so that's done mostly by age, but also some comorbidities that we know put people at higher risk from COVID. And then the infrastructure workers, the critical infrastructure to keep communities going. And when you read the guidelines, my reading of it, it doesn't delineate in any way. And again, this is sort of one of those fairness principles of not trying to necessarily parse out every detail of every decision, you know, sort of the the lottery approach it's called, but they do not distinguish between what size community, what use of a community or purpose of a community is, but they do state that communities that have limited access to healthcare, you know, such as a remote community like Holden, and communities that involve essential workers and workers that care for that community or vulnerable individuals within that community. Thinking about how Holden might fit into phase 1B, to me, it makes sense that Holden fits in with the critical infrastructure workers because of the work that we provide here, working to not only keep a community going in the valley here, but also to provide the necessary services for water treatment from the mine remediation project, Fire and other safety workers are very clearly outlined there, which we have right here in the village. And then people living in very close proximity, which we also have here in the village, with those that are older and elderly and therefore at more risk. You know, when you look at all those pieces together, it became clear to me how the decision has included both IMCO and Holden Village in the phase 1B for Washington State vaccine allocation. We just sort of thought through together how all of those principles may have gone into the decisions made by both the federal government, but also the local health department in terms of where to allocate vaccine resources. We closed out Food for Thought with two questions about macro allocation of scarce medical resources. The first is the theoretical ethical question, who and by what principles do we make decisions for allocation of scarce resources on a population level? And the second question is, from a logistical perspective, is it possible to come up with a completely ethical, just, and equitable distribution of a scarce medical resource? I would also say that we all acknowledged how grateful we are, and I especially am, that there are people who do take the time and think about these huge decisions on behalf of the general population, and that public health just carries such great weight and importance in a situation like the pandemic, and that we have so much gratitude for the people doing this work of of determining the phases, and, and just gratitude that we are able to receive the vaccine up here in the Valley for those reasons. Thanks for joining us.
Be sure to view the links in the description for more information or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.